Hey, it's Travis. I wanted to take this moment to discuss our sponsor, BetterHelp. I used to think talking to a therapist was a sign of weakness until I started talking to one. It has really helped me limit the negative chatter that can infiltrate my brain. Therapy has helped me become a more insightful person, father, and husband. That's why I'm excited to tell you about BetterHelp. Their online platform makes finding a therapist incredibly easy. Fill out a brief questionnaire and you will be matched with a therapist in just a few days. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, or click the link in my show notes. In doing so, you will be helping this show and you will receive 10% off your first month. If you aren't clicking with your therapist, if you're not getting a good vibe, BetterHelp will allow you to switch your therapist at any time with no additional cost. Online therapy is a game changer for me. I have such an erratic schedule. I work nights, weekends, late, early, holidays, you name it. Being able to video call my therapist from my phone in a call room, at work, or in my car, or whatever, it's extremely convenient for me and it allows me the time and the, the place to actually get my therapy in. So if you're struggling, if you need to talk to somebody, go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes and they'll get you set up with somebody. This has been my thank you note to BetterHelp for supporting this show. And that is the trick. That is all it takes. If you want to like pave your way through the teenage years and the high school experience, just be whatever you are and be comfortable with it. All the rest of the poor floundering people who haven't figured themselves out yet will flock to you like like you know what you're doing. And I found that to be really profound for some reason that getting to know yourself really is the, the key to everything. Hi, and welcome to season two of the Thank You Notes podcast. I had a nice holiday break and I'm ready to get back into it. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Malaby. Mark was my high school language and comp teacher when I was a sophomore. He, we get into his teaching style or lack thereof. We get into his being a rebel at a Catholic high school. And we also talk a little bit about his new gig, helping people get their high school diploma later in life with trauma-informed teaching at a center in Kansas. So let's get to it. Dr. Mark Malaby. So Luke Skywalker... A rabbi and a politician walk into a bar. Wait, are we recording? We're recording. Um, that was off the record, so you're going to have to go back. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll never know. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what the punchline to that would be. Or did you just make that up? Yeah. I didn't know you were Doctor Mark Malaby. I am Doctor. When did you become Doctor Mark Malaby? I got my master's while I was at Casha. I went from there straight into the PhD program. And became a full-time, you know, like just like a grad, grad assistant, mm-hmm. taught fresh comp and all that kind of stuff. Okay. What did you get your, what did you write your PhD dissertation in? So I'm, I'm glad you're sitting there and I can see the panicked hand signals you're giving me to keep everything short. So I'm going to try to keep everything short. I started out, my first chapter I wrote of a dissertation was something called evolutionary anthropology. And it was this idea really going into the field instead of going into these artificial um, environments like Jane Goodall had, God bless her. And at the same time, Yale had broken through with DNA. I can't remember the coding or whatever it is where you match DNA and sample it, the genome project and all that. And so there's this big argument coming out that evolutionarily, um, we turned out to be much closer related to the great apes than we thought we were going to be. 
and that all the bad ills that befall humanity, especially men, like rape and war and murder and all that kind of stuff, are just these incredible genetic drives that we have to, you know, commit bank fraud and do every crime you can think of. And caught me. And then my professor came by and came over and said, you know, it's really interesting, but you'll never, ever have a job ever anywhere. And so I switched to sociology and did a dissertation on um, how men uh, reframe their identities after school with like adult men after they get out of school, how they reflect back and recapture and recast their identities. It was fun. I liked it. So you're kind of going through it at the at the same time because you've just been spending your days teaching literature and comp to spoiled private school kids. And- yeah, and and it was a it was a culture shock for me uh, because it was definitely a layer of society the way it looked to me that was completely outside of my my norm. And so I went to a, like I, I was the golf coach at my first couple of years there, and. You know, we went out to our first practice and I, I was wearing high top tennis shoes and a wife beater tank top <laughs> and going out there to play golf because that's what I played golf in in Bartlesville. Right. I mean, I don't know. And and it was like he had come to the come to the golf course. And so I had to learn pretty quick. And the weird thing about that is, is because of that, because of looking at the school itself. I thought every single one of you people was a billionaire, like richer than possibly rich. And uh, that was just kind of my, that was just kind of the the standard I put on everything because um, I had no idea. And only now as an adult, as I've actually gotten to know students better, were like, it was, it was the whole spectrum. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like people were coming from all over the place. Yeah, I mean, we got into that. We I've gotten into that with some of the other previous guests. There, were, there was definitely a line where I was below that line for most of high school. Where I, my parents weren't weren't nearly that rich. We were lower middle class when whenever we started, and they made huge sacrifices to send me there. And then uh, I had some friends that were just straight up poor. I think they were on scholarship or something. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like that. It was weird associating with those people, but you know, it, it all, I guess it all kind of came out in the wash in the end. Well, but. it tells you something about some of the dangers of environments like school because there, there there's no no awareness is offered. Kasha Kasha looks rich. I mean, it's beautiful. It's it's like the Garden of Eden, and mm-hmm. um, nothing is really done to undercut that narrative. And so, all the social stigmas, but also social benefits that come along with wealth are just assumed on everybody. And so if you think about it, it's like I've given a lot of thought to why I kind of taught the way I did early on. And I think part of it might have been because in my head, every single one of you had no challenges in your life. It was this blindness of, well, look where you are. Everything, you must have tutors and chauffeurs and everything must be perfect. And I can not willfully, but I can just kind of be blind to the traumas that every single person of that age is going through. So the ignorance of youth kind of may have caught me on, on some of that for sure. Hmm. That, that's interesting. We're kind of off to a strange start, but I, I like it. Before we get too far into it, this is Mr. Malaby or Dr. Malaby was my 
language and comp teacher and when I was a sophomore in high school. You've graciously come on today. I did want to ask you, do you write thank you notes? Uh, I tend to, yeah. And because I have ADD and am perennially casting about uh, for organization, I'm much more inclined to make a phone call or, you know, just, just reach out and especially now with social media. So formal thank you notes in terms of, I really enjoyed the Christmas gift or stuff like that. No, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know at all, but words of gratitude. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very into that for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm finding that that's a, what a lot of people do nowadays. It's texts and phone calls and social media posts and words of gratitude. And I, you know, I think it's the thought that counts and I don't know. I mean, my mom is the one that hammered it into me to write them, but you know, I, I'm I'm down with that too. As long as you're, you're making an effort, there's something beautiful and almost monastic about sitting down and having the formal. It's like it's like a Japanese tea service sort of thing, where you're sitting down with your white piece of paper, writing the thank you note. There's kind of a beauty of that 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 harkens back to a you know a, a cooler time or something. I think it's really cool that you write those things out. Yeah. It's neat. Thank you. I I guess we can get back into the whole Cashahall experience. And my experience in your class was that it was kind of taught like a college level course. Like you treated us like college students. It wasn't, you know, have these pages read by this day and then we'll talk about it. It's like, this is the book that we're doing. We're talking about Eastern religion. And on this day, you're going to do a presentation and it was very, it was very kind of free form. And is, is that your approach to teaching like in general, or was that something you did for Kasha or how did, how did you talk more about your teaching style at Kasha Hall? I don't, I didn't really have a teaching style because before then I had never been a teacher. I just had a, uh, I guess a school experience style that had developed of what I found intolerable and what I didn't find intolerable. And I had a love of, I had a love of books and I had a deep, deep love of meaningful engagement with teachers and an almost complete inability to do what I needed to do in like worksheet type courses mm-hmm. to even squeak by with passing grades. And that, that, that's held all the way that, that held all the way through college for me. Like if like read the textbook and do the worksheet and stuff. And I would just fall apart. It's like, I just could not muster the interest if I didn't see deep interests from the faculty member. And also if I had any sense that the faculty member didn't love what they were teaching to begin with. So there was that. The other thing that happened and a lot of the, so I guess there's three things. Okay. There was that there was cash itself, which was, and I don't know if it's still that way, but which was absolutely amazing to me. And again, with, hindsight, I've realized how rare that was. In fact, I've never seen this anywhere in a, in a, a secondary school other than Kasha. They said, what books do you want to teach? That was it. It was like, and it was like anything. And they said anything. And so I was teaching with, with one or two exceptions because at the very end, they were starting to layer in like, you know, we've got to all kind of be teaching this book kind mm-hmm. of thing. But the vast majority of everything I taught were books that had been ah, just formative for me from the get-go. And so I was able to approach them with a love and also just the meaning that I had drawn from them between the ages. I was only crap 21 or something when I started at Kasha, you know, Mm -hmm. and so three or four years ago, I was the age of 
a high school student and these are the books that just blew my mind. I knew what would be engaging and what wouldn't be engaging. And then the other thing that I really found interesting as I reflected on it is I was a fanatic about writing and the, the, the mechanics of composition. And I look back and I can't even figure out where that came from because I, I was, I was literally like on a, on a jihad for composition when I taught there and just lived it. And I'm not even sure why. I mean, I, I mean, I believe it. And I, and I think it was valuable. It may have just been back to that thing of thinking that what everybody in that room in front of me needed was to spend nine hours a day agonizing over their essays. So like, and, and, and this challenge, maybe, you know, you all need it. And what's amazing is the vast majority of you rose to that. And again, until I got to the level where I was sitting on dissertation committees, there's never been a groups of kids like that or adults who rose to that challenge the way Kasha students did. I sound like an ad, but it was stunning. Looking back, and when I think more about your your class and having had a few English classes after yours, it really was more of a reflection of your personality and what blew your hair back, as opposed to these are the American classics. In my class, we read Catcher in the Rye, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Bless Me Ultima, and there was something out, but it was a lot of like counterculture. Most most of my friends have read these books, but they didn't read them in high school. They had to go out and read them on their own, but we read them in your class. And I, I just didn't realize how unique that was if until you, I started. If you had um, managed to work your way down the pecking order before graduation to get into my lowest level. <laughs> I also taught like the the basic senior English class. Nobody nobody paid any attention and so i don't do, have you have i ever told you the books i taught in, the, in that class no okay <laughs> i taught the chocolate war which is about a corrupt catholic school that's forcing <laughs> the students to raise money and full of abusive priests i taught a clockwork orange and showed the movie oh god I could go on and on. I mean, I, I told, I taught the book Illusions, The Adventures of a Reluctant to Messiah, which is a reworking of Jesus into a much more like hippie who is against the the formal aspects of the church. I mean, it was just, I just, it was all this stuff that was, I taught Flatland. I taught um, Crying Glock 49. I taught these, these books that just, you know, blew my mind when I, when I took them. And there was actual, a lot of actual pushback, but there's something at that point in that moment of time where I could you imagine trying to, have you ever seen a clockwork orange? Have you actually, I saw it for the first time last year and it was horrifying. It was horrifying. I, when I was teaching it, I would step out of the room. I was showing it to (laughs) high school students and I would say, I can't watch this bit. I'm going to step out of the room. Anybody wants to step out of the room with me. Come on. And because I was able to go to, and I'm going to talk about him in my thank you letter, um, father Hamill and say, look, because I did research, it was like, here's why I'm showing this. And because at the end of the book, which is a fabulous book, the the guy grows up and he ceases to be a clockwork orange and he, he becomes a moral, ethical adult. And so the whole thing becomes a morality tale, which is why uh, the author, Anthony, Anthony Burgess, took his name off the film because the film ends with humans are absolutely depraved, beastly animals cut. And so hmm. that message made it palatable to the Augustinians. And I don't know anywhere else. I just don't know of anywhere else where I could have 
I could have done that. I'm surprised I'm not in jail sometimes, but I loved it. <laughs> was this something like personal, like that maybe you felt a little bit of personal guilt Like here I am teaching at a Catholic school. I'm the, on this raconteur and I'm going to, th- you know, thumb my nose at the, the, the Augustinians. It, it wasn't so much the Augustinians um, at all, as much as I grew up deep early on, I was deep Southern Baptist, like no dinosaurs mm-hmm. and, sermons about constipation and just incredible weirdness. <laughs> and so I had my kind of break from the church, late high school, early college. And I had this healthy, and so I was reading books that would that would reflect that and that would have, but also have meaning, be worthwhile books. They weren't just rants. They were like books that, that actually were pieces of literature. But yeah, there was also something that was even possibly self-destructive about me wanting to rail against the system all the time as well. And Mm -hmm. I certainly, I I think I did a lot of that. I have have memories of students having to all put their shoes, one shoe into a pile. I don't know if you were there for for when I started, had three or four years of doing that. Did you ever experience that? No, I didn't do that. I think at some point it was mandated that I have vocabulary or I think vocabulary test. I think it came out, you got to have some vocabulary. Yes. And so students in comp would come in and everybody, when they came in the door, would have to take off their shoe and put it in a big pile in the middle of the room. I would go around person to person just randomly and say one of the vocabulary words. And I would, I would totally like make the list longer every week than it was supposed to be. And they would have to spell the word and get the word right. And if they missed it, I would go over to the window and drop their shoe in the fountain that was two stories below me. <laughs> And the student would run down through the hallways, run down the circle stairs, run past the office, you know, into that little alcove thing and fish their shoe out and bring it back and put it in the pile. And so I'm teaching my class and I've got this steady stream of one footed kids (laughs) flopping down the hallway with wet feet. And I still didn't get fired. And I don't looking back, I think at least some of the kids love that. But I also worry, I honestly worry that I've completely traumatized like a generation of yes. students. I'm pretty sure I traumatized you at one point or another. No, you didn't traumatize me. I do remember you did give us vocab tests and it was very out of character, it seemed. But it, I could tell that you were having fun with it because you would write these witty sentences and like you and you'd have to pick the the vocab word to put into it i do remember one day you you singled somebody in my class out you said jordan ramey come up here and the word was carnal and it said dr so or so-and-so was having carnal thoughts about mr malaby and he said do you know what you just said you said that this guy wants to have sex with me <laughs> And it it was supposed to be another word substituted in there. And then you said, but honestly, it does make uh, grammatical sense. So I'm going to give you the points. And then you sat them back down. That's good. Yeah, that could have, that could have gone, that could have gone much worse. I was trying to be authentic and trying to make it so that there was good learning going on in the most entertaining way possible because that's all that ever really worked for me. Anytime I could come up with something like that, I did. One of the things that I did that worked really well was in discussions. I would pick a student at the beginning of the hour to lead the discussion and they would come up and sit in the blue director's chair and I would sit in the classroom. And if I wanted to talk, I would have to raise my hand 
And if they didn't want to hear me talk, they wouldn't call on me. And then I couldn't do anything. And one time I had to go to the bathroom and I had my hand up and they wouldn't call on me because they knew that if they called on me, it was probably going to be, I was probably going to give them a trap question of some sort. And so I had to sit there and just, you know, basically squirm for the last 17 or 18 minutes. But it was always amazing to me that given the opportunity that students would rally and do things like lead a cogent discussion and do and, and and we would wind up with the same outcomes and the same amount of information as if I had set up there and lectured it because the because the source material was was there for the taking um, that was always massively impressive to me. And truly, the quality of people who came out of Kasha is unparalleled. It's ridiculous. Like, like there are some, including you, brilliant high achievers um, with incredible minds who are just populating those classrooms. So it was really, it was really neat experience. Looking back, I had some really, really smart friends and a lot of high powered people that came through there. And I mean, it's, I don't know if we were high powered when we got there or you, you molded us into the high achievers that we became, but yeah, I had a good, we're talking so much about, I'm going to go ahead and open my thank you note to you and read it. And then we can, because it, it has to do with a lot of uh, what we're saying. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> Dear Mr. Malaby, thank you for coming on today. You were always one of the cool teachers, and I'm honored to catch up with you. My most distinct memory of your class is how above our heads you filled the lesson with talk about conscious and unconscious mind, how to find and describe ordinary things in interesting ways, Eastern religions, and you also introduced us to Joseph Campbell's hero philosophy. It was the first time I had taken a course that was above my head. While I was able to eke out a B, I gained a confidence that I could tackle any area of knowledge and grasp it. Thank you as well for engaging a community of your former students on Facebook as well. It's a lot of fun. Your mediocre pupil, Travis. First of all, thank you. And I'm afraid for your listeners that I've painted this um, really horrible picture of my classes. And so I'm glad that uh, you you know mentioned some of the subjects and some of the the rigor and stuff like that because um, mm. it was a balance. I would bet that you had high grade point average in high school. Is that right? Not. I mean, I didn't have a four zero. I probably had like a three 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 five something like that. Okay, so the B in my class didn't wasn't your uh, your deal killer. No, I didn't. It wasn't a deal killer yeah. at all. Um, I, I mean, I made mostly B's in high school and college. So, do you know why you didn't make A's? It's a good question. Um, I didn't really have a killer instinct back then, and so it was just you know, good enough was good enough. But when it came to English classes, I I didn't really know how to write. I, I thought I had to write in a style. I didn't really appreciate that it, it's a it's a method of communication. And then I'm trying to exp get ideas across in the most efficient and clear way. And I would just write a bunch of like passive voice, like just because I thought it sounded more formal. And and once I learned how to just write clearly, I became better at it. So I don't I, I wasn't ready to take your class when I took it. I would have done a lot better if I had taken it when I was 25. But because because you're still even even with your intellect and the gifts you had given, you're still going through the social gauntlet of high school. I mean, that's such a, that's such a, that's such a traumatic time for so many people. Like I think the vast majority of us just are traumatized through high school with just the sheer condensed 
drama that goes on of you don't know yourself and all that kind of stuff that that there's really not that mm-hmm. much left for academics anyway. So I think a B is a, a noble grade. I, I was happy. I, I mean, I was just happy I, I got through your class. I think everybody kind of knows what they they're getting into when they took your class. How would you, how would you say that? How would you say what they were getting into in just a phrase or two? That's intriguing. I just it was a sense of controlled chaos that this was kind of you're going to talk about you know weird stuff and you're going to get into weird things. Maybe Mr. Malby has a plan. Maybe he just likes doing all this because it. He likes watching a squirm. Like you're, you're going to learn to do something in the class, and there wasn't really like an English class. I don't. I mean, we read books in it, but it wasn't. It wasn't like that. It was more just like a, a knowledge and communication and thinking class. Does that make sense? It does. I think. I think the writing was a pretty constant. And yes. The the focus on the actual writing, but that's all. That's the only constant that, in my opinion, that you really need in an English class is just the efficiency of communication. Like literature is is much more of an art than a science and much more of an artistic experience. And so if you can convey what your responses are accurately, then you've kind of nailed everything you need out of English. And the rest is just gravy and enjoyment, which is probably all part of the reason I taught the books I did. Yeah, but I do remember we gave two like presentations. Yeah. I gave a presentation on Zoroastrianism. That's right. That's right. And then I then I'd get you had a uh, Joseph Campbell. You you're supposed to pick something and show, and I, I edited together like a ten minute video and gave my Joseph Campbell uh, presentation. So yeah, that's true. And so yeah, you're right. Actually, mm-hmm. as I think about it, because those are just uh, those are just things that were just incredibly interesting to me as well. More of an existential experience, I guess, or um, something than than anything else. Definitely not standardized education, which makes me happy. Yeah, it made, it made us happy too. It it was shocking going into the, I don't want to name drop any other English teachers from Kasha, but it was, I did, I didn't enjoy their classes as much. Yeah. I, I probably, probably wouldn't have either because I, I had a uh, 1.9 grade point average in high school. Yeah. There you because go. High school is not about academics. Exactly. It's about figuring out how to survive, maybe, you know, and just, yeah, figuring yourself out yeah. and how to interact with all the different adult forces you're going to be running into in a few years anyway. Well, some people figure it out earlier that the, really the only person you have to please is yeah. yourself. And if you're happy with what you're doing, then, you know, your grade point really doesn't matter. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you, you know, your parents don't approve of your grades or what. In the long run, none, none of that stuff even matters. It's, you know, are you happy with the work you're doing? Are you happy with what you're getting out of what you're doing? Back then, like, I just wanted to please my parents and uh, please my teachers and everything. And then I was in my 30s, maybe at late 20s or 30s, I made the switch to where I realized that I didn't have to do all that. And it was ultimately me that I had to answer to. So, Which is, how good of a feeling is that once, that's, once you finally figure that out? It's scary because you, you're the one creating the standards you have to come up with it all on your own is this going to be enough and i found it a little frightening but in the end it's it's probably better for you yeah yeah then staying yes then then being defined by desire to please others i think that's for sure there's an app i love called medium which is just basically people writing Mm -hmm. and i read i read articles on there a lot 
one of the things I read was was somebody who was reflecting back on on high school and they were going through their like yearbooks with somebody and they're looking at the people who were like the pinnacles of popularity and and you and I both have a good sense of like in your classes who those people were they were Mm-hmm. And what they said is they said, okay, go get your yearbooks if you kept them or whatever. Just go back and think back and, and look at look at those people and think about them from your adult perspective. And what you'll find is that they're not always the most beautiful, intelligent people in the class. I went back and looked in mine and it was like, yeah, sure enough. And and they said what, what those people had was they developed a strong sense of identity early on. And so they were comfortable in their skin. And that is the trick. That is all it takes. If you want to like pave your way through the teenage years and the high school experience, just be whatever you are and be comfortable with it. All the rest of the poor floundering people who haven't figured themselves out yet will flock to you like, like, you know what you're doing. And I found that to be really profound for some reason that getting to know yourself really is the the key to everything. There you have it. You heard it here first. It's Dr. Mark Malby's. Did you? Did you have it in high school? No, I didn't have it. And I didn't get it till medical school. And even then it was shaky at best. Uh, You want to read your thank you note, Dr. Malby? I do. But before that, just give me, um, give me a, all I want is just a percentage. Okay. So you're going to say something Mm -hmm. like 5%, 78%, 103%. Okay. Um, Okay. How much editing are you going to need to do on this episode compared to the mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, this is only like the 12th episode, right? This is going to be on the higher end. Awesome. Does that make, that make you happy? So thank you note, right? All right. I didn't, I didn't expect to be like um, gobsmacked when I, you know, sat down to write this letter for your podcast, but it really became apparent quickly that like there was way more people I needed to express gratitude to, especially when given the option to be, to have a public forum for it. So I decided to approach this by focusing on where I'm grateful, like now today, well, whenever the day that I wrote it, what's been foremost in my mind recently has been the gratitude I feel for my job, my current job and a chance it gives me to help people who are struggling to change their lives for the better. So I don't know if you knew this, but my current job, I'm the director of a learning center and I help adults and kids who've left high school before graduation. And I'm able to help them achieve, complete their degree. And it's the best job I ever had. And, you know, I've been, I've had jobs up and down the educational field, but this is the one. And it allows me to teach according to, my philosophies completely, which are that if a student's not safe and secure, then they're not going to be able to perform academically and that curriculum should be tailored to the lives and the interests of the students wherever possible and stuff like that. And so I also realized, if you've come to realize over the years with the number of jobs I've had, that that's kind of a minority view in education. And there's been moments where my ability to stay in the field of education has been like hanging by a thread. Like I was like all but going to have to do something else or going to be run out of the field or stuff. And each of those times a person stepped forward and shielded me or protected me or made a space for me that allowed me to continue 
and that allowed me to get to where I am now, which is in a job I'm probably never going to retire from just because I love it so much because it's so valuable. So here we go. This letter is like for those people. To Father William Hamill, Dr. Michael Gunsenhauser, and Dr. Mike Cook. At different times, each of you stepped forward to offer critical support in a time of crisis. Thank you for saving me. Father Hamill, you helped me secure my first teaching job after college. By the time I applied to Casha Hall, I'd applied for over 50 jobs without any success at all. The combination of my progressive philosophies of education, my honesty slash idiocy in interviews, and lackluster recommendations from my professors ensured total fertility. In fact, by the time I heard from Casha Hall, I had already been accepted into the Peace Corps. My mom had seen the Cash Hall ad in the Tulsa world and sent my name in without me knowing, which resulted in my getting a meeting with Father Hamill that lasted about an hour. I had to look in the phone book to find the address of Casha Hall before I went down there because I had never heard of it. I found out later that there were over 90 applicants for the position. Over 75 of them had a master's degree. All of them had higher grades. All of them had better recommendations. Father Hamill saw some potential in me that I didn't even see in myself at that point. Over the course of my first few years, he protected me from parents and twice even the school board. And I eventually grew into the teacher he wanted me to be. So thank you. Dr. Gunzenhauser, you saved my PhD. I returned to grad school because I wanted to understand the why of schools. I had just left a teaching job where I turned in another teacher for having sex with a student. That teacher left with a positive recommendation and was hired elsewhere within a week. I went back to grad school because I felt like I needed to understand the why of all this. In my first week in the program, secondary ed English, I was dismissed and lost my fellowship because I raised those questions. That was not something that proper educators talked about or thought about. Proper people did not ask those kind of questions. Because my funding depended on this appointment, my future was in jeopardy. Dr. Gunsenhauser from a different department did not know me from Adam, but heard through gossip about my situation, reached out and offered me funding in his program, a position where I could ask the questions that mattered to me. And I became the first graduate of his new program at Oklahoma State. Dr. Mike Cook, you offered a haven when I needed one. Several years ago, I returned to the high school classroom as an English teacher. What I discovered was that schools no longer had much room for teachers like me. The latitude to teach the books I love, to tailor the classroom to accommodate the student, and even to demand academic excellence had largely disappeared. Within three years, I was given the option of resigning or being fired. I no longer fit. With a wife and two kids living in a small town, my teaching options were limited. Dr. Cook, actually the entire organization I now work for, gave me the job I have today where I can teach in a humane and individualized fashion. With much love and respect to each of you, thank you, Mark Mallaby. Wow. Lots to unpack there. Yeah. I've had 10 teaching jobs and I've been let go from four. Mm. So it happens. Uh, and so okay. why is this your, you call this your dream job. Why, why is it your, what is your job and why is it your dream job? Are you still in the classroom? Sort of. There's me and a one para professional I, I hired with, you know, absolute freedom to hire. And what I do is we work in a small office, but students come to us 
and they've really struggled in school. I'm able to set the curriculum, determine what counts as a credit, determine what kind of growth they need to do. And then I have, because I've got good relationships with the school districts that are awarding the credits and the diplomas, I get to make the decision about what constitutes passing a class, what curriculum is in a class, also to create an environment that is absolutely under my control, which means it's an incredibly safe, supportive, quiet environment for these people who were not able to stay healthy, a regular school environment, which can be a really unhealthy environment. Um, my daughter goes to this center. Uh, she, she struggles mm-hmm. with anxiety. Uh, I was able to, to bring her in. And so what I get to come into every day is a really quiet, engaged, supportive environment where I'm helping people as much as possible work on stuff they love. And I just can't, as I get older and I get softer and I get, you know, to get more like granddad mode or whatever happens to people, um, it becomes more and more important to me. It's like kindness becomes, becomes even more important. And the standardization and structure of the school environment is, is a, is a huge norming it's whittling pieces off of people until they fit you know, and um, I can, I can minimize the traumatic effects of that. So I, I work on a, in a total silo. I have a lot of control and I've filled it with people who, and I work at a company who shares my beliefs about education. And so it's like, it's a non-stressor to work there. It's actually, I used to look forward to going to work at Casha. I used to look forward to one of my, professorships that I had and now this job and it's so it's way up there and it's ones that um, I'm going to, I'm going to stick around with. It's a great gig. Sounds great. Yeah. And we have little graduations and every year we graduate six to eight people and it's the most meaningful moment of their lives. I did a little research when you said that when you sent me the email about that, I watched a YouTube video that you were in about everything that goes on and, so I did want to ask, what is a trauma-informed school? Because that's that's kind of written all over the um, Facebook page and the website. So I work, what I work, the, the company I work for is one of Kansas's like three major service centers, like educational service centers, that they started out with the idea of they, they, they help teachers go through trainings in a variety of ways. The one I work for is pretty unique because it's been much the much more kind of progressive forward thinking much less about like lesson plans and stuff and much more sort of experimental. And so there's a whole field of thought about uh, brain-based learning and the effects that trauma has on the brain. And it's this interesting information on it. Um, a lot of it came from Harvard. Another guy is Jim Spore leader who created the paper tigers, the movie and the book and does all that stuff, but brain function actually changes when people undergo trauma, like literal permanent brain damage in the sense that the ways of that the brain functions in situations changes, and it's much more of a fight or flight response. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff on something called neuroplasticity, which is the idea that in the right environment, we can help a person retrain their brain into much healthier, much less traumatized responses. And that's necessary to get them to the point where they can do things like take classes successfully. The work that my service center does is trauma-informed is it it makes the assumption that 
most everybody's going to be experiencing some trauma in school. And what we need to do is look at the whole landscape and create environments that aren't traumatizing to begin with, and then create teaching and curricular moments that help reshape the brain into health. And you can only do that by things which are soft skills, like building relationships and creating healthy, calming environments and de-escalating crisis when people get completely spun out. And these things run counter to like the most traditional ways of looking at school. So we're seeing as this kind of rebel hippie, we're big, like in the state and in some ways we're nationwide, but at the same time, we're like super woodstocky and in our approaches. And it's, it's really, it's really slick and it's not me. It's them. I just got hired on. Yeah. I'm, I guess it's part of my midlife crisis. I'm getting into the whole, you know, small T trauma and looking at yourself and looking at things that you do and things that you've experienced. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the life experience. And I get, I'm glad that people are kind of, uh, coming around to, you know, realizing that, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And every, you can push people and not traumatize them. And no, I, I really like your, your new gig. When I, um, I'm, I'm happy when for I did you. my dissertation. Um, I picked a variety of people from, um, uh, a guy who just gotten out of a long prison term to one of the people who is still one of the most powerful attorneys in Tulsa to, um, the state senator. I mean, it was just, it was the economic and social ladder. And I just talked to, I had them talk to me about their experiences in, in school, their experiences in school. First of all, they were radically different. And, but, but one of my main findings is that nobody really gets over it. Nobody really gets, over it. no, no. And you just set and process it forever. I don't want to end it on that note. Uh, <laughs> Uh, last question. You have a uh, really good taste in books. Do you have a recommendation for me and my dozens of listeners? If you like, you like fantasy at all. Yeah, I do. So I found this guy on Goodreads because I, I found myself in the library and I'll grab a book and realize I've already read it. And once I got deep into that pit, I went and, and, and found this guy named Patrick Rothfuss on Goodreads. And this is the second book. Yeah. It's called Wise Man's Fear. The first one is The Name of the Wind. And I, I resisted for two years reading it because it's got this Harlequin romance cover of this redheaded dude looking from the side with his shirt torn open and six pack of abs and a sword and like a wolf pet. And I thought, I'm never going to read that book. And I got totally desperate and read it. And it's the best thing I've read since Game of Thrones. It's some of the best writing I've encountered. So right off the top of my head, I would say Patrick Rothfuss, The Name of the Wind is a really is a really yeah. Is it Game of Thronesy? Like, is art rated R like that, or is it uh, PG thirteen? You know, I was aghast quite often at Game of Thrones, and this is this is definitely a level down. But there's there's some there's some sensuality in there. But just good lord, the guy's world making and his creation of myths that are that's what Lord of the Rings like is that his world craft goes top to bottom, and there's no there's no end to it. He he did it absolutely correctly and thought it all the way through. And so everything fits. And I'm, I'm just a sucker for that kind of writing. Love it. Okay. Maybe awesome. I, I guess I checked out your other book and I liked it. So I'll check that one out. It looks, it looks big. It is enormously huge, but that's good because what I found out today was that it's going to be a trilogy and he's only done two. And so I'm praying that by the time I get done with the second book, the third one will be out because I've been on the presale list for the last game of Thrones book for nine years on Amazon. 
<laughs> I pre-ordered nine years ago, and the guy's never gonna. The guy's never gonna. Finish this no, movie. he's not. He's not no, gonna do it. I can't stand it. What's what's a book? What's what's a book you recommend? I've I, I've gotten really into Stephen King, so I read Salem's Lot. Yeah, which was insane. And I, I I'll read them. I say read it's audio books. And I'll read it's at night when I'm walking the dog, which is stupid because it's <laughs> I just keep hearing stuff like from behind me. So I really like that. I really, I really, I, I the stand was okay. And I read the Dark Tower series. Uh, I'm reading, oh, uh, Rich Roll, uh, Finding Ultra. That was a book that I read. I'm writing that down. He has a podcast and I, I've, I found that. And he's a, he's a pretty interesting guy. He gave up uh, alcohol and meat, and then he he started a he was a swimmer at Stanford, and then he kind of lost his way and went to law school, and then he gave all that up and he um, started running ultra marathon. So he goes through all that. It's it was a really interesting book. Do you run? I used to. Oh, cool. I'll um I'll definitely check that one out too. Yeah. Are you still cycling? Um, I actually picked up ready for this. Um, yeah, I w- and in fact, I was actually PRing on a bunch of stuff, and I think I wound up with some long COVID fun. So I got COVID in like October, November, and I'm still recovering. And so it's put a hiatus that on sucks. it. But um, yeah, I was I do Strava and and was hitting all my goals and stuff. So yeah, that's a that's a big mental health thing for me. I love it. Yeah, you might dig that then because he goes a lot into cycling and nice. All right, Mr. Malaby, it's been a pleasure. Hey, it was really good catching up with you, buddy. Likewise. That's season two, episode one. We got weird. We got deep. We got book recommendations. I always liked Mr. Malaby in high school, and I think I like him more as a grown-up. Please follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. I recently got on TikTok, at ThankYouNotesPod. I'll be trying to put some more stuff up there. And all of that will be in the show notes. All of the book recommendations will be in the show notes. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.